Well, we are in this series, and we're in this series that will see us right up to Easter. And what we've been looking at, we've been talking about how to handle things when, when life is harder than expected. And I'm sure all of us can attest to that, that our life at times, or even right now, is definitely much harder than we ever expected or even planned. In this series, my goal, my hope, my prayer, my desire is that as we've looked at these, at these phrases from Hebrews 12, that we are learning how to handle life when it gets hard. That we're learning how to handle life when it gets difficult and tough. And we might have a long season of that. And, and just looking at these words and just some of these reminders, I'm hoping it's helping you to, to deal and to respond to those difficult times in your life, even if you're in the midst of one right now. But what a coincidence, right? That we're going through a series like that right now. As we are still walking through this pandemic. And I think this is a, has been really good timing. And, and I hope it's helped you um, be encouraged. This has been a long haul through this pandemic. And we're still not out of it. I know we're seeing, starting to see light at the end of, at the, end of the tunnel. But I, I'm, I know, I know for a fact that these words are resonating to all of us as individuals, us as households, us as a church body uh, to help us continue to walk through these difficult times. For many of us, there are, time, there are these times in our lives and even these long seasons where things just, they just don't go the way we, we've planned, the way that we dreamed, the way we've expected them to do. And we've been studying this passage and we're really getting to know this passage well. I'm sure we are, right? And I've, I've underlined the phrase in this passage for this week that we're going to be looking at here. So if you have your Bibles, I definitely encourage you, if they're not already open, to open them up to, to, to Hebrews chapter 12. And again, we will read through the first couple of verses, and we will go to the next phrase that we want to focus on in this passage. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Simply stated, my challenge to us here today is this, to fix your eyes on Jesus. This has been a priority of this series. This is a priority of this passage that we're looking at. Because if we are unable to fix our eyes upon Jesus, all this other stuff that we've been looking at and, and talking about can't happen. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And what I want to do as we look at this phrase and look at this passage is I'm going to reveal three discoveries that can actually inspire us to inspire you to fix your eyes on Jesus. 
the first discovery is this, the pattern of Christ's life. Just understanding the pattern of Christ's life and how that will help us and inspire us to fix our eyes upon him. See, he set the example for us, right? He has set this amazing example. You've seen this passage. It says, the author and perfecter of our faith. That word author there is translated in a newer translation, a newer NIV translation, as the pioneer of our faith. So he is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I love that word. I love it because either those words, author or pioneer, they're both very accurate terms of what's going on here, what's being said here. It implies this. It implies someone who began something and then continues as the leader of it. That's really what this word of author or pioneer is really implying here in this passage. And that's why... And that's what we are trying to do, right? We are trying to follow the pattern of Christ's life. So even the word chosen by the Hebrew writer here, what it does is it shows us and it implicates that we are to receive the joy by following Christ and following his pattern of his life. And the benefit comes through the actual following part of it all. See, when Christ went through tough seasons, and he did, and in times of pain, and he experienced those, what, what, is, what was that pattern that we would see all the time when we're looking into God's word? He kept his focus on the Father. If you reflect back and start thinking back of all those times that you've seen him go through painful times, uh, difficult seasons, what is, what, what is the main thing that he keeps on doing? He keeps his focus on the Father. And we, are, we need to be remembered the pattern of, of his life. As he kept his focus on God, it, it tells us we need to keep our eyes fixed and our focus on Christ. Think about what he went through for a moment. Just think of some of the things he went through. He knows what it's like to live with a family who doesn't see your potential or does not believe in your identity. He knows what that feels like because he experienced that. We, we know that his family didn't think he was all there in the head. <laughs> they didn't believe who he was. They didn't see the potential until later on. Not only did he struggle with that and having to work through that serious struggle in his life, but he also faced grief as well. He learned how to grieve. We see that as he, with Mary, uh, Mary and Martha, right? As he comes back to, to see Lazarus, right? Like he, he, he could have gone there and said, listen, don't you believe I'm going, I'm going to raise him from the dead. He didn't say that. He went and it tells us exactly how he responded. It said he wept. He grieved for a close friend. And he learned how to do that. Jesus knew what it was like to be betrayed by close friends as well, right? He knows what that feels like. So know when you go through heartache, one of the first questions that usually comes to our minds when we go through struggle, when we go through difficult times, outside of the question, well, why is this happening to me? But another big question that we ask is, how could God 
possibly, possibly bring something good out of this. And then when you get to the other side, you see all of the ways that God has used that pain to mold you, to inspire you, to grow you. See, Jesus' heart ached on the cross for us. It would have been difficult for us to have watched him die, such a horrifying death. And yet, it is through his heartache that began our healing, right? See, when a heartache meets you on the journey, and it will, you focus on the pattern of his life. Go back and read the Gospels. Go back and, and see the pattern of his life. And focus on that. You focus on his example. Because here's the thing, God will never waste a hurt. He will never waste a pain. He will never waste a tear in our life. Rest assured, Jesus doesn't give us, doesn't just give us a pattern to follow and then just leave you hanging there and say, okay, there's, there's the example. See you later. Figure it out on yourself. He doesn't do that at all. He just doesn't say, follow my pattern, but he also gives us his presence in your life. Remembering that discovery, remembering that he has given us his presence and that will help us and inspire us and lead us to fixing our eyes upon Jesus. We have this presence in our life, this presence that is with you right now, wherever you are seated, that presence is there. And that it, it's and it's manifested in tangible ways. One way we have Christ's presence is through this. It's through God's word. It might be sitting on your lap, or it might be in your phone. But we have Christ's presence through God's word, and we need to have it open. We need to be in it so we can be reminded of that. You realize that Jesus is the embodiment of the word of God, don't you? That this, that Jesus is the embodiment of this. He is the fulfillment of the law. And so we are learning about Jesus when we study the word. As you study, as you meditate, as you read, you are learning about Jesus. He is the embodiment of this. He is the fulfillment of the law. In John chapter 1, it talks about the word becoming flesh, Jesus, and dwelling among us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So we have his presence in our life, his word. We also have it through his church. We have it through, through each other, through his church. We are the body of Christ. We are the representation of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, we are told we all have these different roles within the body, within the church. Here's the thing. We could not complete or accomplish our mission without you. 
you are important to what we do here. Whether you realize that or understand that, you are important to what we do here. If we want to accomplish what we want to accomplish, we need you. We need you to be part of that. We need you to recognize that that is part of a way that we experience the presence of Christ in our life. See, the church, when we come together, we sense the presence of God. And you're sensing the presence of God wherever you are right now. And that's, that's just, that's amazing, isn't it? Where we are reminded wherever two or three are gathered, right? A third place, and there are a lot of different ways that we see his spirit at work in us, but the third way we sense that presence is through the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's another way that we can experience the presence and be reminded of the presence in our life. John 4.14 says this, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Here's, he's talking about the Holy Spirit that will be sent to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. See, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. The most underestimated thing that us as Christ followers fail to notice in our lives is just what we read there. Jesus is Christ. Jesus Christ's spirit lives in you. The spirit of God lives and dwells within you. That is probably the, the most underestimated thing that we fail to notice as followers of Christ. And to be honest, if we can understand that and recognize that, it's a game changer. This is a game changer knowing that the Spirit of God is dwelling within us. This is a direct reference to the Holy Spirit coming that Jesus is predicting here in John. Now, when Jesus said, said this, the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. And you got to think, try to put yourself in the disciples' shoes. As Jesus is saying this, they're probably thinking, oh man, you know what? This doesn't make sense. Nothing could be better than having Jesus right here in the flesh with us. Like what can be, nothing can be better than that. But when Jesus walked the earth, in a sense, he was limited or regulated to one location at a time. After he ascended to heaven and after the Holy Spirit has come in Acts 2, there is this explosion of the gospel spreading. Love is expanding like never before and boldness is just growing. And why? It's all because of the power of the Spirit that has ascended upon us and dwells within us. So for 33 years, the limitless God essentially to a degree, limited himself during his time on earth. So he could be in one place at a time, just the way we are. We are just, in, we're only able to be in one place at a time. So what happens is from that point on, from that point on once he's gone to, to heaven, the Holy Spirit is now available to us. 
And Jesus now could reside anywhere he wants as he's gone up there. He could, his, he could allow his spirit to reside wherever he wanted. And yet, and yet, he chooses to take up residency in your heart. Think about that for a moment. Allow that to settle in. Jesus could have picked anywhere to reside, and he chose you. He chose your heart to reside in. And you might think, wow, that's pretty cool. It is, but it's more than cool. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. In Romans 8, we read this. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Do you catch the implications in that verse? Do you catch it? Do you understand it? Or are you failing to notice what this is saying? If you're a Christ follower, then the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. Are you catching that? That's what Paul is saying here in Romans, that the same spirit and the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead now is not only available to you, but it dwells and it lives in you. Think of it like this for a moment. I've used this thought before. In the Old Testament, there was a common phrase that God is with us. That, you, see, you hear a lot about that. Man, God is with us. You saw that um, with Moses and just how God was with them. You see that with Joshua. You see that with Gideon. You see that God was with them. Like we, we, that was definitely well recorded. But in the New Testament, after Jesus has ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit has descended, it has changed. The mentality and the thought has changed from God is with us to now it's Christ in you. See the difference? And it's a big difference. We went from God with us to now God in us. In this verse, in Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 2, that English phrase that we have there that says, let us fix our eyes. Well, in the original language, it's actually one single Greek word that we get that one phrase from. What's more interesting to, to me about this Greek word is that it's a compound word. It's Two words made up into one. And one of the original words is the word for looking or seeing. That's one of those words, one of those words used in this compound word. And that makes sense, right? It, the, it's actually telling us to fix our eyes. So there would be that sense of looking at something or seeing something. That makes sense. But you know what the other part of that Greek word means and talks about? The other part is this, it's away from. So the, so the first part, the f one part of that compound word talks about looking and seeing, and the other part of that compound word is the idea of away from. And you might be thinking, well, those, those seem like two words or two thoughts that just definitely won't go together looking and seeing or away from. Are you seeing maybe what the Hebrew writer is conveying here? 
here's what he's conveying in this, you know, fix your eyes on Jesus idea. To look at Jesus, sometimes you have to turn away from some other things. That's what this is implying. That's what he's conveying here with that, uh, that single Greek compound word. That to look at Jesus, to fix our eyes, to see Jesus, we actually have to turn away from some other things in our life. And there's things that we're drawn to look at. And what the Hebrew writer is saying, he's saying, just look at Jesus. Now, they might not be bad things that are drawing our focus. They might even be good things, right? But the point that he's conveying here is that Jesus is and has to be the priority here. And he is so much more better than even those good things that you might be looking at and focusing on. That we have to make certain that we keep him as the priority in our life. And the idea to do that is for us to look at Jesus, there are things that we're going to have to turn away from and look away from so that our full focus and our full attention is on Jesus. That's what he's conveying here. What happens is when we fix our eyes on Jesus, sometimes he changes things, right, in our life. And he does that. Sometimes it's instantaneously. Other times, not so much. But he will give you the strength so that you can endure whatever it is that you may be going through right now. So, experience his presence in your life. Remember his pattern for life. And the next, thing, the next discovery for us to, to help us and to guide us so that we fix our eyes on Jesus is that there's a purpose for your life. There's a purpose for your life. You don't always see what he's doing. And because of that, it's easy for us to begin to wonder if he's actually working at all in our life. You're probably familiar with Romans 8, 28. And it says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. That's, that's what gives our life meaning, is that God has given us purpose. God has given us meaning. And Jesus came and gave us that pattern to follow in his presence so that he goes with us wherever we go so that we could live with a purpose. There's a bit of progression here. And it all leads us to, to requiring us to fix our eyes upon Jesus. If we want to live with purpose, we need to understand that he gave us a pattern to follow and he's given his presence to us in our life. And he's done all that so that we can actually experience and live out a sense of purpose in our life. See, our purpose in life, it's rooted in a heavenly hope that looks very different than a worldly hope, right? A heavenly hope is what, is what inspired Noah when it had never rained before, didn't even know what that was, to build an ark. Why? Because he trusted in God. A heavenly hope is when Abraham obeyed God when he said, pack up all your stuff and just start walking and I'll tell you when to stop. Or later on, Moses. 
talking about how Isaac would need to, how he would have to sacrifice his son. The, the, the son that he was promised. A heavenly hope is Joseph being in the bottom of a pit, being sold into slavery and looking up from this pit and saying, God, where are you in this? But here's the thing, I'm going to trust that somehow you're going to bring good out of this. I want you to know today, he can do the exact same thing in your life. He might do it instantaneously, just like that, but more likely he probably do a little bit at a time. But the thing is, he can, and he wants to, and he will change your life. He wants your circumstances that you've, been, that you've gone through, all of those valleys and even all those mountains to bring meaning and purpose to your life. What typically happens when we fix our eyes on Jesus is that he doesn't fix things, right? He fixes our focus and he helps us to look at life from a very different perspective. See, so really when we're looking at this idea of fixing our eyes upon Jesus, it's really not about what you are facing, but it's more about where you are looking. So right now, today, where's your focus? Where are you looking towards? It's really not about what you are facing right now, what he's conveying, what he's trying to let us know. It's not what's going on in your life, but more importantly, it's where are you looking? Where are you looking at? Are you looking at these circumstances? Are you looking at these difficult times that are going on? Or are you looking at Jesus? can't look at both. And when we take our eyes off of Christ and we make other things more important than they should be, he's no longer the priority in our life, right? Once we take our eyes off of Jesus and, and on something else, at that moment, it's, you're conveying, okay, okay, God, you're, you're not the most important thing in my life right now. You're not the priority. So let's end our time the same way we started it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And that has come through so strongly, I believe, in this past year, right? Where during this year of walking through this pandemic and experiencing and walking through all of these restrictions and measures, for me, it's definitely shown the importance of definitely having my eyes fixed upon Jesus during this time. See, the thing is, he's divine. He endured the cross for you. His motives are always pure. His heart is always right. As earthly leaders, we will disappoint you. We will. We will get, well, we will get sick. Like what happened last weekend. But Jesus always follows through and Jesus always keeps his word and Jesus is eternal and he is the hope of this world. Years ago, um, they started doing exit surveys at Disney. And as they did that, they, were, they found that there actually were people in a decent amount to get their attention who were actually leaving the park disappointed. And you're probably thinking, well, that doesn't make sense. Isn't Disney the happiest place on earth? Like, why, did they, why were they leaving disappointed? Was it the high costs? Was it the long lines? Like, what was it? Actually, as they looked at all this, it was, there was a common thread with all of their disappointment. It was the fact that they had traveled great distances, 
paid a lot of money, and came into the park with a lot of excitement. And when they came, there was one person that they were looking for, and they wanted to see the whole entire day. And they were there that day, and they didn't get to see him at all. You know who that is? Of course we do. It's Mickey Mouse. Anyone that goes to Disney, their focus is, I want to see Mickey. And if you don't see Mickey, you, you're going to feel disappointed, right? So what could they do about this? Could they, have, could they hire more people and dress up as Mickey and be walking around the park and was one suggestion. And, and, and some people said, actually, that probably wouldn't be good. You could be on you know, that monorail that goes off and, and the person there's like, well, if you look to your left, as we go through this section of the park, oh, you can see Mickey. And then like literally two minutes later, it's like, oh, you can look to your other side as we go through this section and there's Mickey there. And then there's Mickey there. It, it would take away the magic of it, right? You know? Like, he's one person. Why am I seeing him all over the place, right? That was one suggestion. They actually turned it down, which to me would have made kind of sense, right? Just hire more people to dress up and walk around. But they didn't do that. You know what they did instead of that? Here's what they decided to do. They started to have, they decided the best way to do that was to have a parade every single day. Every day throughout the whole entire year and have it at the exact same time every single day. And you know who the grand marshal of that parade would be? Mickey, right? That way, if somebody wants to see him, they will always know where they can find him. And then that way, no one will leave the park disappointed. Because if you don't see him as you're walking around the park, you know at four o'clock, that day, I can go see Mickey. If I go to this place, there's going to be a parade, and there, will, and there I will see Mickey. And ever since they did that parade idea, they're finding that there's that disappointment of not seeing Mickey has disappeared. So I got something to tell you. There are people in our world, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, maybe even in our own households, who are spiritually hungry, they don't realize it, but they are looking. And they're looking for one person. And they don't realize that either. <laughs> to think that when they cross your path, they have an opportunity to see Jesus. Pascal once said, within every one of us, there is a God-shaped vacuum. So here's my challenge to us here today. When those people come into your presence, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's at, at your home as we're able to start to open up those gatherings, when we are able to come to church, when those people come into your presence, they are looking to see one person and his name is Jesus. May they never leave disappointed. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this reminder of the importance of fixing our eyes upon you. If we aren't fixing our eyes upon you right now, I pray that you will show us what we are looking at. 
Because the writer here is conveying that for us to look at you, there are things we need to turn away from and not look at anymore. So if our full attention and focus isn't on you, it's on something else, reveal that to us. And so that we can actually make the conscious decision and effort is I need to turn away from that so I can look at Jesus. Thank you that in you, we will find everything that we will ever need in our life. And and as we interact with people this week, allow them to see you for who you truly are and that we will make you look good because of the way we're living our life. Allow people that come in contact with us as individuals, us as a church, they will never leave disappointed. So help us. Help us to keep our attention, our focus, and to fix our eyes upon you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.